Well, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, so good to be with you this morning. We are now in week, I think it's week six of this series that we started entitled Jesus Is. We started the series. The whole idea behind the series is that everything that Jesus is, is everything we need as a church right now. And everything that Jesus is, is everything that I need just as a human being, as a person as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a leader. So we've been journeying through some, just some of the different attributes of Jesus, certainly not all of them, but when we started six weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Jesus is hope, that no matter where you find yourself in life, no matter what is happening, there's always hope if you put it into the person of Jesus Christ, if you draw your hope from that place. Uh, We talked about the fact that Jesus is justice, right? And justice was this really big topic we couldn't tackle all of it, but we looked at a story through the lens of justice, and we looked at how Jesus brings justice just through how he brings justice to the world through how he is and how he interacts with people. Jesus is healing, that whatever broken heart you may have, whatever wounded soul you may carry with you, Jesus can heal that in you if you will let him. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Josh did a phenomenal job. We had a boat up on the stage. I don't know if we've ever put a boat on the stage, but we did. And he talked about Jesus' peace, that whatever storm of life you may find yourself in, he can bring peace to those moments. And then last week, Pastor Chandler just did a phenomenal job talking about the fact that Jesus is the cornerstone. He's literally this thing that we call the church. There are billions and billions of people today all around the world who celebrate Jesus Christ as their savior. And so we have this thing called the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus literally is the foundation that all of that is built on. And it's not just the foundation that the church is built on, but when you, when you and I, when we build our life on the person of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he teaches, that's when we have the fullest life Possible. So Jesus is the cornerstone. Today we're going to talk about transformation. Jesus is transformation. But I have, um, I think it's a confession. I, I don't know for sure. That's just the best word I have right now. But so a little bit of a confession to make. <clears throat> when we started thinking through this series six weeks ago and we decided on Jesus is, and we started, you know, writing different ideas or themes up on the board, hope, peace, all that good stuff, transformation popped up. And Chris and I just talked about who was going to take what, and I knew that transformation was going to be mine, and I knew that it was going to be mine about four weeks ago. So for the last four weeks, I had been writing a sermon for Jesus is Transformation, and I had everything all said. I'd been memorizing it. I had done all kinds of research, studied, memorized all the bad jokes that I like to tell every Sunday. They're still bad, so... And this past Wednesday, I was sitting in my office, and Lexi and Jeff and Lori were practicing the song that they just sang for Alyssa. And it was the first time that I had heard the song, so I was overhearing them, listening to the words and the music, and I rolled my chair down the hallway uh, just outside of her office, and I just started listening to it. And it it moved me just as much then when I heard it, and and there was just this whisper in my heart and in my, my head that said, you cannot say what you were going to say that you've been working on for the last four weeks. You need to say something else. And I stopped, and I'll just tell you, in that moment, this is what I said to Jesus. I'm not interested in that idea. (laughs) 
I just spent four weeks researching, studying. Again, all of the, I'm prepared. I have it memorized. I'm ready to go. I had something to say. Even I thought it was a good sermon. And I said, Jesus, I'm not really interested in this. But it just kept coming. The more I listened to what they were singing and the words of that song, and, I knew, and, and Alyssa, I had seen the video. The more I listened, the more it just kept coming. I said, you cannot say what you were going to say. So we're still going to talk about transformation today. That idea is the same, but I, I just be tell you, I'll be honest with you. I walked into my office Wednesday at four o'clock. I closed the door behind me, and I literally said, this, is, this was my prayer. I'm desperate for you, Holy Spirit, because if you want me to say something different, you have to tell me what to say, because I have nothing. It's Wednesday at 4 o'clock. I have meetings all day Thursday. Friday's supposed to be my day off. And we start church on Saturday around here. So I just said, Holy Spirit, if you have something different that you want us to hear, it's got to come from you. So I'm desperate for you in this moment. You better give me something. <laughs> and it's funny, I keep telling the staff at our meetings when we gather together, I keep saying staff. Um, <laughs> I don't say staff. <laughs> Gang. <laughs> We cannot lose our desperation for the Holy Spirit. We cannot lose, and it's so easy to, to slip into complacency and comfortableness. We cannot lose our desperation for the Holy Spirit. And here I was, four o'clock in my office, literally desperate for the Holy Spirit, going, you better come up with something. And for the next 45 minutes, I just started thinking and praying and thinking and praying. And so here's the reality this morning, gang. I had this whole big thing planned. Now in my little notebook, I have three Bible verses. And we'll see what happens. I'm fairly desperate for the Holy Spirit right now. In this moment. That he'll say what he needs to say. It's, I mean, I preached last night. So I have some ideas, but I can tell you it's already different this morning than it was from last night. We cannot lose our desperation for the Holy Spirit. So we are going to spend a few minutes talking about the story of the woman at the well, one of the most profound, one of the most powerful, one of the most instructive stories, I think, in the New Testament. This story where Jesus meets this woman at a well and they have this conversation. It's the longest recorded conversation in the New Testament. It's not the longest conversation, I'm sure, that Jesus has. It's just the longest recorded conversation. So there's a lot of stuff in this story. Story. We will not get to it all. I'm going to summarize pieces of it for us this morning, and then I'm going to share a few verses with us, and we'll see where God and the Holy Spirit wants to take us today. But here's what I want to challenge you, that over the next few minutes, will you stay desperate for the Holy Spirit right now? Will you just open your heart and your spirit to the Holy Spirit and say, God, Holy Spirit, whatever it is you want to say to me now, here, in this moment, may you say it so clearly, so loudly, so plainly that I cannot miss it. Holy Spirit, we are desperate for you. So, John chapter 4 is where we're going to go this morning for a few minutes. John chapter 4, let me just give you a little bit of background. Jesus has been teaching like he does, and he's in Judea, and he's about to go from Judea to Galilee, because when he was in Judea, uh, what happens is Jesus teaches, and he riles up the crowds, and he riles up the Jewish Pharisees, and the priests, and the teachers of the law, and so they kind of get all worked up, and Jesus knows this, and he really doesn't want the attention drawn to himself, so he's like, okay, we got to get out of Dodge. He takes his disciples and says, we're going to go into the city of Galilee, 
And the quickest way to get from Judea to Galilee is by a city on a route that goes by a city called Samaria. And there's a well just outside of the city that was dug uh, by Jacob all the way back in the Old Testament. Really cool connection back to the Old Testament. So Jesus says, we're gonna take this route to, to Galilee. We're gonna stop by Samaria at the well. So they stop. And here, this is really important piece of information. They stop, what the verse says is they stop at the sixth hour, which is noon. It's the hottest part of the day. It's scorching heat in the Judean countryside. It's hot. Nobody stops at a well at noon except for Jesus. So that's where the story begins. He's on his way to Galilee, stops at the well, and John chapter 4 Starting at verse 7, here's what we read. A woman from Samaria came to draw water at noon. And Jesus said to her, Would you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into town. He sent them into town to buy lunch, so he's by himself. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, would ask for a drink from me, a woman? from Samaria. What she's saying here is that this moment with this man shouldn't be happening. John is building a little bit of tension for us into this story because this moment shouldn't be happening. Number one, a man shouldn't be talking to a woman by themselves in this culture. It was culturally unacceptable, especially if she's married. If she is married, her husband should always be present for any conversation she has with another male. So already off the bat, as this woman is talking to Jesus, she's feeling this weird tension that this conversation shouldn't be taking place in the first place because he's a man and I'm a woman and we're at the well alone. The second thing she says is, I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. And we don't have time to go into all of the history of this, but I'll just tell you, the Samaritans and the Jews don't like each other. The Jewish people literally believe that Samaritans were half-breeds. They're part Jew and they're part Gentile. And because of that, it makes them completely unclean. They can't worship in the Jewish temple. So the Samaritans had to create their own temple. They had a completely different mountain that they thought was the mountain of God. So there's all of this cultural tension between them, but then there's this religious tension that exists between them too. So they don't like to each other. And the truth is, if you were a Jew, you weren't supposed to even come close to a Samaritan. He's sitting at a well across from her the third thing is he asks for a drink of water from her if he were to take a cup of water from her he would then be considered unclean simply for touching the cup that she touched Nothing about this moment is actually culturally right or acceptable. There's something wrong here. It's not wrong, but it's just not right in this setting. And she knows it, but Jesus leans right into this moment. So he asks for a drink of water, and then for the next several verses, what happens is they have an interesting conversation about the well and who dug the well and this guy named Jacob, and they have an interesting conversation about water, and Jesus says, I'm the water of life, and if you keep drinking that water, you're just gonna be thirsty and thirsty and thirsty, but if you drink the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. She doesn't get it. She doesn't quite make the connection at this point in the story. So they have this interesting conversation about water. And then in verse 16, listen to what he says next. He said, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. To, to which we go, what? I thought we were talking about water in this well. 
and some guy named Jacob. Now, maybe Jesus is trying to set the cultural standard and make it right. Right? He's thinking, this is an interesting conversation. I would love to keep talking with you about this, but you need to go get your husband and come back because that's the way this conversation should happen. Maybe Jesus is trying to set the cultural standard, but when you go through the rest of the story and you see what happens, that's not what Jesus is after in this moment. So he says, go call your husband and come back. And then in verse 17, the woman answered him, I have no husband. And she would have been happy if the conversation ended there. She's not interested in talking anymore. But look at what Jesus does. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you don't have a husband. And then Jesus keeps going. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have isn't your husband either. What you have just said is true. Can you imagine being the woman in that moment? You just came to get water to take back to the house. Now you're sitting across from a guy who has just pulled out of you some of the darkest, deepest, most hurtful stuff you've probably lived through. You don't have a husband. You've had five, and the guy you're not, and the guy you're living with isn't your husband either. I have a couple of questions when we come to these two verses. One is, what in the world is going on here? I thought it was a conversation about water. Now we're talking about husbands and who you're married to and who you're not married to. What is going on here? But, but I have another question before we get to that one. How did this woman get here? I don't mean how did she get to the well, like physically to the well. She left her house, she walked the path, she got to the well. That's how she got there. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how did she get to the place in life where she's had five husbands, where she, the guy she's living with now isn't her husband. How did she get to the place in life where she'll do anything she can to avoid being seen by other people in the community that she calls home? That's why she's at the well at noon in the hottest part of the day because she knows none of the other women will be here. All of the other women, when they would come to the well to get water, would come in the early morning when it was cool and they would come with other women in community. She knows nobody will be here. How did she get to the point where she's living in complete isolation, where she doesn't want to have a conversation with anybody at all? How did she get there is what I want to know. And honestly, there's not a ton of detail so in some regard we have to speculate a little bit and it's possible that she got to that place in life it's possible she got there simply by a series of really poor decisions there's one bad choice after the other after the other she got involved with the wrong person in the wrong place she was looking for the wrong things and it was just one bad decision after the other. And they, those decisions just started to pile up and pile up and pile up. And now she finds herself at this place in life, rejected over and over and over again, alone. It's also possible that she got there because somewhere in the past something was done to her. 
that someone used power over her, that someone, overpo- that someone took advantage of her. It's, it's possible something was done to her that she had no control over. There was nothing she could do about it. And now she's living with a sense of shame and guilt because of what happened. And so she finds herself in this place in life. And I think about this story and I think about the fact she's sitting across from the person of Jesus Christ. And you want to know what I think Jesus sees when he looks at her? I think he sees a woman who's living into a life she was never intended to live into. She's living into a life she was never created to live into. As Jesus looks at this woman, remember, this is God in the flesh. This is divinity come to earth. This is his creation. This is his child. This is his daughter. And as he looks across the well, what he sees is someone who's living into a life she was never, ever, ever intended to live into. She is living into shame and guilt. She is living into rejection over and over and over again. She's living into loneliness. Perhaps living into a sense of despair. Living into hopelessness. Because of her choices or because of what was done to her or a combination of both. But Jesus comes to earth and sees this woman and sees someone who's living into a life she's never ever intended to live into. And again, can I just tell you of Of all the stories in the New Testament, there are some incredible stories. Jesus walks on water. He raises Lazarus from the dead. He gives deaf people their hearing back. Miraculous, powerful, amazing stories. This story is one of the most powerful because this is the reason Jesus came to earth, to meet people in places like this. This is why God came to earth because there are too many people living into a life they're not intended to live into. So can I ask you a question this morning? Is there any part of your life? Is there any part of you? Are you living into a life you were never intended to live into? Are you living into shame and guilt because of your own choices? or because of something somebody did? Are you carrying around so much shame and guilt that it's just this heavy noose or weight around your neck and everywhere you go, you feel the weight of it on your soul and on your spirit and it affects your relationships? Are you living into shame and guilt when you were not intended to? How many of you would say you're living into a life of fear? I'll tell you, that's what it was for me. I'm 45-ish, around there, something like that. (laughs) For the vast majority of my life, I lived into fear. Grew up in an alcoholic home, had an abusive stepfather. When he would drink, he would get angry and mean and abusive. So he used to abuse me, he would abuse my mom. And I remember as a kid, um, at night, whenever I would hear a fight begin, out in the living room, the kitchen, or wherever it was, I just knew what was coming. 
and I would hide underneath my covers and I would crawl underneath the covers all the way to the foot of the bed. It was the deepest, darkest place I could find in the house and that's where I would hide and I would cry heaving sobs because of what was happening but I would cry as silently as I possibly could so that I wouldn't be heard because I knew if I was heard, I would be next. That breaks a child. And I grew up with this overwhelming sense of fear. It affected every single area of my life. I'm not exaggerating. Every single area, every relationship, every decision. Fear was systemic in my heart, my soul, my mind, and everything. And I lived into a life of fear that I was never intended to live into. Are any of you living into a life of fear this morning? How many of you would say you're living into a life of addiction? An addiction to alcohol, to pornography, to approval, to stuff, to sex. I mean, you can fill in the blank. You know, we can get addicted to just about everything. How many of you are living into a life of addiction? How many of you are living into a life of anger? You're just angry all the time. And you take it out on your spouse, your husband, your wife, your kids, your coworkers. How many of you would be bold enough to say, in some area, I'm living into a life I was never intended to live into? And you know what? Maybe none of those things are you. Maybe your life is actually fairly good. You you don't have an overwhelming sense of fear. You're not anxious all the time. You don't struggle or wrestle with an addiction. Maybe it's none of those things. But are you living into a life of complacency and comfort? where it's just status quo, and I certainly hope God doesn't challenge me or ask me to do anything outside of my bubble. Are you living into a life of complacency? That's what's happening here in this story. As Jesus looks across the well from her, he sees someone who's living into a life she was never, ever, ever, ever meant to live into. And this is why Jesus has come to earth, to free us from that. A few years ago, probably seven, I made a decision that I was tired of living into a life of fear. Just when I say it controlled everything, I, you, you, I wish you could, I mean it controlled everything. And I made a decision, I didn't want to live into a life of fear anymore, and so I made a phone call to an organization and I did something I had never done in my life. I didn't want to do it. It was one of the, mo- the hardest, most uncomfortable things I've ever done. But I did something called a freedom appointment. So I don't know if you're familiar with that or if you've ever heard that term before. But I did something called a freedom appointment. And basically, for three days, 
from eight in the morning until five or six at night. We took a 30 minute lunch break in the afternoon. That is it. So for eight or nine hours a day, I sat in a room with two other men that I barely knew, two other counselors that I barely knew, and I bared my soul. And when I say I bared my soul, I told them everything. I went back to the earliest childhood memory that I could start from, and I started there, and for eight hours a day, and then 16, and then 24, I just, I let it all out, everything, all the hurt, all the pain, everything that had been done to me, and everything that I had done to others out of my rebellion and out of my own hurt. I just literally let it all go. And what I did for those three days is literally just tell them the truth about who I was. I told them the truth about my past. I confronted the truth about the things that I had done and had been done to me. And for the longest time, I just wanted to ignore them. I just wanted to shove them under the rug. It seemed easier to do that until you realize you're living into a life you weren't intended to live into. And so I sat with these men and just told them the truth and told them the truth and told them the truth. That's why this, this moment where Jesus says, hey, yeah, you're not married and you've had five husbands. What you've just said is true is so important for this woman and for us. Because gang, I don't think transformation could happen until you first confront the truth. I just don't know if it's possible. You've got to get to a place where you're willing to be honest with yourself about where you're at right now in life, where you've been, the hurts that have been done to you, the hurts that you have caused. And then when you let that truth start to penetrate your heart and resonate in your soul, I think transformation can follow. But do you know what was really happening in that office those three days as I look back? I'll tell you what was really happening, honestly. <clears throat> I was just desperate. That's it. Literally just desperate. Desperate to stop living in fear. Desperate to stop living in shame and guilt. Desperate to stop walking around with the cloud of condemnation over my head. Desperate to find some hope. Desperate to find any sense of freedom. Desperate to feel loved. I literally just came to a point of desperation because I had nothing else left. <laughs> and I was tired. I want you to go home and I want you to read the rest of the story yourself, John chapter four. Because it's powerful. The woman who shows up at the well is not the same woman who leaves the well, right? The woman who we see at the beginning of the story is not the same woman that exits the story but I want you to read it for yourself and I want you to ask God what he might have to say to you. But here's what I think happens to her. I think she got desperate, but she finally put her desperation in the right place. I have to imagine, if you think about her life, she was desperate for love, she was desperate for belonging, 
desperate for somebody to take care of her, to care for her, desperate for connection, desperate for all the things that we want as human beings, but she never found it. That's why she went from man to man to man to man. She never found it. And, and I, my guess is that every time she'd go from man to man, that desperation probably grew. Maybe the next one, maybe the next one, maybe the next one. I'll find the life I'm intended to live in the next one. And sure enough, it was the next one. It was Jesus. She, she put her desperation in him. And I think she got desperate for who Jesus was. And it changed everything for her. Are you willing to come to that level of desperation in your life? Can I tell you a story about last night? Six o'clock, Saturday night service at Lifestream Church. I got up and said the same thing at the beginning, that Wednesday, the Holy Spirit's like, nope, you got something else. So I argued, went in my office, 45 minutes, said the same thing. And then preached last night. The same verses. At the end of the service, I'm standing over here taking my microphone off. And the, and the thing about Saturday night services, it's a fairly small group, so if you come long enough, you get to know everybody, right? You just get to know who people are and their faces. And during the message, as I'm up front last night during the message, there was just one person in the back that I'd never seen before. I have no idea who this person is. I've never seen her before. I don't think she's a, you know, a tender here. And every time, just every few minutes, I'd scan the audience and I would just lock eyes and then I'd move on. So I'm sitting over here after the service is over last night and she walks up to me as I'm taking my microphone off and she comes face to face and she says, I need you to know I am the woman at the well. And she started crying. I said, what, what is your name? Just tell me, she told me your name. She said, I've never been here. I've never come to this church. This is my first time. I'm not from around here. I just moved here from out of state. And three weeks ago, I tried to take my life. She said, I started looking online to try to find a church that has a Saturday service. Yours was the first church I found. She said, I am the woman at the well. I told you, those 45 minutes that I was in my office, um, the Holy Spirit just started to just kind of download some stuff and I just started writing just random thoughts on a marker board in my office from four to about five o'clock. I, th I think they'll, they'll put the picture up there. Just random thoughts. I just started writing and writing and writing. And this gal over here said to me, everything you just said for the last 30 minutes is my life to a T. I cannot believe I'm here tonight. She said, I just have to get back to God. I've known it for a while. I've made some mistakes. I have to get back 
to God. You see what happens when people are desperate? I don't know what would have happened if I would have just said, no, I'm just going to preach the other thing. I can tell you God still would have got to her. He really doesn't need me. He could have got to her, and he'd been thinking about her weeks ago. He just let me in on the secret at 4 o'clock on Wednesday. Okay? And you know why he let me in? Because I walked in there and said, I'm desperate. I'm desperate for you, Holy Spirit. I am desperate for you, Jesus. I have nothing. What in the world do you want me to do? So I got up. I said what I felt like I needed to say, what the Holy Spirit wanted to say. And I had no idea that in that moment, that person was sitting in our audience. Gang, when you are desperate for Jesus, this is the kind of stuff that happens. And I want us to be desperate as a church. I want you to be desperate in your own lives, desperate for your marriage, desperate for your kids, desperate for your friendships, desperate for the people that you rub shoulders with at work each and every day. But I want us to be desperate as a church for the Holy Spirit to invade this place so that we can do this kind of stuff, that we can reach people in our community who are lost. Luke 19, 10, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus tells one of his most profound stories is about the lost sheep, the lost boy, and the lost coin. And in the lost sheep, what does he say? Jesus says, I will leave the 99 for the, the one at the well. At the well. So gang, I'm just, I'm just gonna challenge you right now. The, the worship team can come out. I'm gonna challenge you right now. Um, every week of this series, we've opened the, the altar, and it's not like the altar ever closes. We don't open and close it. <laughs> it's just open. Every week we've just said, hey, if you need to come forward and have some business with Jesus, do that. I'm gonna challenge you this morning. I wonder how many of you would be willing to come up here and really just get desperate for Jesus. And I mean get desperate for the Holy Spirit. If you are living into a life you know you're not intended to live into. Whether that's shame, fear, guilt, anger, whatever it is, you can fill in the blank. If you are living into that life this morning, then you should probably come to the well and get desperate for the Holy Spirit. And out of desperation, ask him, what, what do you have for me? That's all I asked in my office. On Wednesday, four o'clock, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? What do you have for me? And that's what I got, and that's what he was trying to accomplish. What does he want to do with you this morning in your desperation? And even if it's none of those things, man, if you're just complacent, if you're just ho-humming through your faith, Maybe you need to come out of here and out of desperation say, Jesus, you know what? My life is really, really good, but you know what? I'm asking you to take me out of my comfort zone and do something with me that you've never done before. Use me to reach people. Use me to bring hope. Use me to bring healing. Use me to bring justice. Use me to bring peace. Use me to bring somebody to the cornerstone that we build our lives on. I want to challenge you to be desperate this morning for the Holy Spirit. And if you're prompted and you stay in your seats. Hmm. So we're going to sing a song. And it's called New Wine. Wine in the Bible, certainly in the New Testament, is symbolic for the Holy Spirit. 
So when you see, when you see discussions about wine, it's symbolic for the Holy Spirit. And what we're asking for in this song, it says, Give, make us new wine. Turn me into what you want me to be. Do whatever you want in my life. Make me new wine. In other words, put a new spirit in me. Put a new spirit in me that lives into a life you have for me. Make me new wine this morning. I wonder, church, if we are desperate enough for what Jesus wants for us and what he wants to do through us.